If you can find the book of Habakkuk, we're going to preach out of there today, near the end of the Old Testament. Malachi, Zechariah, Zephaniah, then Habakkuk. I'm not going to read the whole three chapters, but we're going to deal with what's going on here in these three chapters. But we want to look at verse 4. It's a pretty famous verse in the Bible, Habakkuk 2, 4. And it says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. But at the end of that verse, it's quoted three times in the New Testament. It's the gospel, according to Paul. And it says there, But the just shall live how? By his faith. And that's the, that's the title of our message today, The Just Shall Live By Faith. So um, I taught on Habakkuk. It's been a few years back. I don't know if anybody remembers. I wouldn't expect you to. But it's unique amongst the prophetic books in that Habakkuk, he's raising questions to the Lord, and the Lord gives him direct answers. And it's kind of unlike the book of Job. You know, Job's raising questions all through his book. And God really never comes and answers him until the end. And even then, he doesn't directly answer Job's questions. But here, God visits Habakkuk and answers the questions that he has. And there are a lot of questions that we frequently ask in our own lives, like, how long? Why? This doesn't just seem fair. God, are you going to do something about this situation, or are you just going to watch? I mean, that's in essence what Habakkuk asked in the first two chapters. This book, we'll see, it begins with a perplexed, impatient, and bothered prophet. He's got questions that he wants answers to, doesn't understand some things. But the book ends, which is where we're going to end, on a note of triumphant, joyous faith. And so what Habakkuk teaches us, what we should learn today, is teaches us how we can walk in a world that is filled with people and circumstances that are working against us, seeking to drag us down. It'll teach us that. How we can do that, how the just shall live by faith, or the just shall live by his faithfulness, is what the Hebrew says. They didn't have a word for faith. And what seems like a hopeless and a lost cause, when things seem like, I've lost everything. This is what the book says at the very end. Yet, the book will teach us, yet, even though all seems gone, all seems hopeless, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk on mine high places. That's where it ends. Begins with questions, ends with, no matter what, God is faithful. I can joy in him. And that's where we ought to be. You know, a great earthquake hit San Francisco, destroyed all these buildings. The tremors caused fires to start, destroyed a bunch of other buildings and that. And yet here's this old lady sitting out in her front yard, rocking back and forth in her rocking chair, singing. And a passerby walks by and says, how can you be so happy when the whole earth is cracking up? And her answer was, I'm rejoicing to see how my God can change things. So even in that, when the world's caving in around him, she's like, hey, I'm just rejoicing because God hasn't left me alone. Amen? And that's what the book of Habakkuk teaches us. So we're going to divide our teaching today. I'm going to have three headings in here. And it's going to be based on the first word of each of the three chapters. Like I said, we're not going to read all of the chapters. So the first part is going to be the burden, and that is faith wrestling. The second is going to be chapter 2, the vision, faith realizing or seeing what it needs to see. And the fourth is going to be the prayer, which is faith rejoicing. And so the first thing we see here in chapter 1, the burden, which is He's wrestling here with his faith. So Habakkuk was a contemporary of 
Zephaniah and Jeremiah. So they were three prophets that were all three prophesying of the destruction of Jerusalem. And so he's right on the scene just a few years before Jerusalem's destroyed. In 605 BC, y'all understand the Babylonians came in, destroyed, took everybody captive. Israel had already gone into captivity in 722 BC, and Judah was the last one to go. So after King Josiah, so Josiah came in and he did a major reformation. He came after Manasseh, had this wicked father. He got rid of all the idolatry and whatever and brought the people back to the Lord, reinstated the sacrifices, had them trust in the Lord, said he was a great king, none like him. Great king. But yet, what do we know when you read Jeremiah? The people repented, but they really didn't. Said they repented faintly. And so what happens? Josiah goes off the scene, and what happens? They go back to where they were quickly. And they go back, Judah does, into wickedness, violence, immorality, oppression. It dominated Jerusalem, just like it did in the days of wicked king Manasseh. And what we have here in this first chapter is Habakkuk can't understand why all this is going on and why God doesn't do anything about it. And so look, look this is his cry. Look in verse 2 of chapter 1. He says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even crying to thee, this is what he's seeing out of his own people in Jerusalem. He says, even crying to thee of violence, and you don't save. Why, he says, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked and judgment does never go forth, for the wicked does compass the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. So he's asking God, how long do I have to cry out to you before you're going to respond? You keep showing me the wickedness of this people, and yet you don't do anything. Your judgment never comes. And he's like, I've cried out to you, Lord, for a long time, and all that comes from your side is silence. All that comes is inactivity, and it just seems like you're unconcerned. You're a God of justice, but you're unconcerned that justice isn't done in Jerusalem amongst your people. The principle I want to get out of this, we talked about this some Wednesday night, and it is the principle that there are times when God's people cry out to him, and it seems like he is slow to respond, and it seems like he is unconcerned. And I'm saying the cry, how long, is repeated many times in the Psalms. And if you would, put something there in the back, since you found that, and turn to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. Psalm 13, it says, How long will you forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will you hide thy face from me? How long, he says again, that's three times, shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Four times, how long, how long, how long will I cry? It seems like God doesn't care. And he says, verse 3, Consider and hear me, O my Lord, my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But he says this, verse 5, But, he says, I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's just a short version of three chapters of Habakkuk, really. He's crying out how long, but yet he says, yet I know, Lord, you will hear me. You will have mercy on me. 
and I'll be able to rejoice in thy salvation. And if you would turn over back a few more Psalms to Psalm 88, verses 1 to 4. Look what it says there. He says, O Lord God of my salvation, I've cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. It's a lot of times you can get that way sometimes, right? In a trial, it's just the reality of life. And look over just one other psalm in Psalm 89, verses 46 to 52, and it says, Again, here it is again. How long, O Lord, will you hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? Remember, he says, how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? What man is he that lives and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave, Selah? Lord, where are thy former loving kindnesses, which you swear unto David in thy truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of thy servants. How do I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty people? Wherewith thine enemies have reproached, O Lord, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of thine anointed, Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. Now, the Psalms are what? They're part of Israel's worship. That's what they would sing. This is part of their worship, the worship of God. And so they continually, it's all through the Psalms, right? Continually make these pleas to God to help them when they're in trouble. You ever pray like that? Are you ever that honest before the Lord or do you think that's somehow a lack of faith? But why do they continually make these pleas before the Lord like they do? Why do they do that? One commentator said this. I thought this was good. He says, Israel fervently, here's why. They fervently believe that God is good and just. We just talked about the goodness of God, that he cared for them and intended to help them. And it was because they believed this so strongly, because they really believed that's who the God was that they served, that they became so disturbed and their language became so violent, so intense. How long? Can't you see what's happening? That's what we have here in Habakkuk. When to all appearances, it appears God doesn't care or doesn't answer. I'm saying, have you ever been there? <laughs> you know, have you ever been there where, Lord, I have committed myself to trusting you? By your grace, I'm holding on. But how long? We got people in different situations, some with healing, some with family situations, that it's got to be, how long, oh Lord? I'm not turning my back on you, Lord, but how long? I'm still trusting you. And listen, the longer the delay, isn't it? The longer the delay, the stronger the temptation to doubt. It's the way it is. And look, when it gets long and it goes on and it goes over what we and other people would consider a reasonable amount of time, then that's when the questions start coming, like the rainstorm I drove in the other night. It just starts overwhelming to where you can't even see what's going on. Why has this happened to me? What have I done to deserve this? Where's God? That's the kind of things that the enemy just gets really loud in your ear. And the two questions, back to Habakkuk, the two questions he's asking here in verses 2 and 3 are what? He's saying, how long? See that there in verse 2? How long, O Lord, I cry. And then verse 3, the first thing he says there is why. How long and why. 
You've promised justice, he's saying, and yet it doesn't seem to come. Or you could say, you've promised healing, and it just doesn't seem to come. I get no relief. Why? How long? Those are the questions. Like I said at the beginning, do you think it's wrong? Do you think it's wrong for a saint to go before the Lord and say that? Do you think it's wrong to do? To ask those questions? I really don't. Because some of the saints that are going to make it to heaven asked that very question. How long? You're going to remember this as soon as I start quoting it. Revelation 6, 9 to 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And it says they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now, if it's wrong, these are people, they're perfected. They made it on the other side. And they are crying out to the Lord. How long, O Lord, it says. Because we know this about you. You are holy. You can't abide in evil. And we see people are being oppressed on this earth. That's the great tribulation. The devil persecuting the saints, killing them. They're saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, because you promise you are a God of justice. And they're crying out with loud voices. And why can't we at times do the same thing? And I think we should. And that's what Habakkuk is doing. So he's wrestling with trusting God. It's a battle to hold on, and he's got questions. He's crying out for answers. God does give him an answer. He gives him an answer. He tells Habakkuk, I have already done something and heard your prayers. Look at that. It's in verses 5 to 6. Look down in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Here's God's answer to Habakkuk. How long? What are you going to do? You aren't going to do anything about it. He says, behold, you among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously, because he says, I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. He says, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. I've been at work, Habakkuk. It just doesn't appear that I've done anything, but justice is on its way. I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful, and their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. And he's saying, hey, it's on the way. It's going to be a terrible nation and dreadful that are going to punish Jerusalem. He's saying it's going to be so bad. You're going to get an answer to your prayer. It's going to be so bad you wouldn't believe it if somebody told you is what he's saying. That's what he's saying in verse 7. These people don't play by anybody else's rules of war. They just do whatever they want, and it's going to be that bad. That's what it says in verse 7. It says their judgment and their dignity, the way they process their war, the way they treat people, it's not going to proceed from God and his law. It says it's going to proceed, verse 7, it says, of themselves. That wasn't the answer that he wanted to hear. And he protests to the Lord. God, you're holy. How can you send a nation that is more wicked than Jerusalem? Jerusalem's bad, but these people are way worse than that. And you, a holy and just God, you're going to send them, a nation more wicked than your own, against your people to judge them? That's what he's saying. But my point I want to see in this is Habakkuk's cry and his plea is that God seems to be indifferent, that he's asleep on the job. 
But what's the Lord telling you? He said, wait a minute, Habakkuk. Delay does not mean denial. Isn't that what we've been taught? Isn't that the way it is? Delay does not mean denial. So he told him. Look at verse 5. He says, Behold ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously. He says, It's not going to be a long time. It may seem like it, but he says, I will work a work when? He tells them it'll happen in your days. So Habakkuk, it seems like the answer is never going to come, but God says, No, it's going to come soon enough. It's going to come in your days. Bring it on home to us. So you're trusting God to fulfill a promise. It doesn't seem like he's care and he's indifferent. You can know based on this, he hears your cry and delay is not denial because the answer is on the way. So if you'll just turn back a little bit, turn to Daniel. We've talked about this, but I want to look at this in light of that. Turn to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel 10, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar, and the thing was true. But the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. And in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself with oil at all till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. He's saying, I need an answer. He needs to know when is this going to happen? It's been a long time in delay and it should have happened by now. And he's before the Lord. And so he seems like God has an answer for 21 days. But look what it says down in verse 12. An angel appears. And look what it says. Verse 12, then he, the angel, said unto me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God. What happened on the first day? Habakkuk's saying, God, you don't hear. You don't seem like you don't hear. And Daniel's like, it appears like you don't hear. He's before the Lord, but he says, on the first day I heard. Your words were heard, and now I am come for thy words. But there was something going on in the heavenlies. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So somehow or another, the answer that God had sent on day one, day one, he said, your prayer was heard and I was sent. So God was faithful, wasn't he? But something happened there. There had to be a little warfare that took place, wasn't there, for 21 days. So somehow God's saying those prayers of Daniel, his persistence enabled, energized this warfare that's going on that enabled that angel to break through. And that's how it is sometimes, isn't it? So there's things going on, and that's where prayer in the Spirit is so important, isn't it? Because we can't see into that realm. We don't know what all is going on. And that's what spiritual warfare is, and that's why it tells us in Ephesians 6 that we need to be persistent and persevere in prayer for the saints. We see people that are in a trial. We can't just, oh, well, they've claimed it by faith, and if they got faith, it'll work out. That's not what the Bible teaches. I mean, we got Acts 12 with Peter. The devil's like, man, I murdered one of them. I'm going to murder this other one. I'm going to get all the hierarchy here, all the apostles that have a commission to go out and establish churches. I'm going to get all that stopped right here. And so what if the people hadn't gathered to pray? The implication is that they prayed without ceasing, unceasing prayer. The church gathered before the Lord on behalf of Peter, and that's what brought that angel down. 
shines in a bright light. Has to smite him on the side to wake him up because Peter in his heart, he wasn't all nervous about it. He'd given his life to the Lord. If they kill me, they kill me. Praise God. But that wasn't God's will, was it? And that's what we have there. So Habakkuk, though, going back to chapter 1, the rest of that chapter, he's questioning God. That's what you have there in verses 12 to 17. He's like, you're going to take this nation. You're holy. You're going to use these people to carry out your justice? Something just doesn't seem right about that. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, you are from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine holy one. We shall not die. He said, you can't kill all of us because you made a promise to Abraham. So you may bring that, but you can't kill us all. <laughs> we shall not die. That's what he's saying there. Anyway, so he's like, you're not going to hold your tongue totally when the wicked devour a people more righteous than they are. And that brings us to the second chapter. And this is faith has a vision. Faith realizes something here. And so he's asked that question. How are you going to use this barbarous nation like Babylon to punish Jerusalem? And he says, I just need to know. This isn't making sense to me. First, I'm crying out you're not doing anything. Then you say you're going to do something, but it's going to be like, I can't understand all this. And Lord, I'm waiting for an answer. And that's what we have there in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I'm going to stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, and I will watch to see what he will say unto me. And then he's like, I know he's going to get on my case for what I'm asking about. And he goes, so I'm going to try to get an answer ready to answer that. That's what he says at the end there. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. He means reproved by the Lord. So a lot of times, you know, we get in a hurry and we don't wait on the Lord to give us an answer, do we? Because sometimes that's what we have to do. Get before the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And what will happen when that happens? says, he will strengthen your heart. He'll help you see maybe what's going on in this trial. He'll strengthen your heart. He'll increase your faith. The Holy Spirit will come. And he answers Habakkuk here. God gives him an answer in a vision. And so he tells Habakkuk, and by that he tells us that he says, settle down. The promise has an appointed time. It appears it isn't going to happen, but what I've told you, what I've promised you is not a lie. God can be trusted. It may seem to be delayed, but he says, wait for it. It will surely come. Isn't that what he says? It's not going to tarry forever. Look in verses 2 to 4. And the Lord answered, Habakkuk 2, 2, answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Look at verse 3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and it's not going to be a lie. Though it tarry, though it seems to wait, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright, but the just shall live by his faith. And this is God's answer to the question that he's asking at the beginning, how long? So this should give encouragement to people that are trusting in the love and the goodness of God and his promises. Because the devil has his answer, doesn't he, when you ask how long? You know what the devil's answer is when you say how long? Why is this delay? You know what his answer is, how long? Never. Isn't that what he tells you? It ain't going to work. It ain't going to happen. You're going to die. Or you're going to be broke or you're going to get kicked out of your house. And God says, no, through the prophet, he says, no, just wait. There's an appointed time, a decreed time, a designated time when that answer is going to come, when that vision will be fulfilled. If it seems to tarry, just wait. 
He's saying, surely, read it there, surely it will come. Just like where else do we have a few surelys around? None in the congregation. We got one up on the wall. Doesn't it say, surely he has borne our pains? We got it right there and carried our diseases. That's not a maybe. That is a surely for his children. Just put your trust in that. Surely. So what is this message? What is this promise? And that's verse 4, that the just shall live by his faithfulness, but the wicked by his pride will perish. That's what he's showing him. And both of these truths will come to pass. Even though he's saying, look, Habakkuk, it looks like it's just the opposite right now. At times, doesn't it look like that? It looks like the just by their faith are not going to live, but they're going to die. And it looks like the wicked are somehow going to prosper. And God says, that's not the way it is. The just will live by his faith. So the rest of this chapter, too, like I said, we're not going to read it, but verses 5 through 20 tells what happens to the man of pride, whether he's in Jerusalem or Babylon. Four woes are pronounced on a man of pride. So Babylon, he's saying, look at him. They seem like they're prospering. They're looting these people, conquering nations, taking everything from them. And they're going to do that to Judah and Jerusalem. But he's saying, look, all they are, they're merely an instrument of God's righteous judgment. That's all they are, because when they're done, when they've accomplished what God, he says, I've raised them up. When they've accomplished what God has raised them up for, he's saying here through verses 5 to 20, I will judge them myself. They're not going to escape that. So what is it about the proud man? We have a contrast here between the man that lives by faith and a proud man, because a proud man refuses to live by faith in God. What does a proud man do? We were all here at one point, but we know quite a few, right? What do they trust in? They trust in their own righteousness, their own power, their own abilities, their own wisdom. They refuse to trust in the Lord. And men that live like that, he's saying they will perish. That's what it's telling us here. And he's saying that's a fact. It doesn't matter how it appears now. But how does the just man live or the righteous man, the man that is right with God, He's saying, if you're that person, if you're that just man, you can take courage because you will live or be delivered. How? How is a righteous man, a just man going to live? By his cleverness, by his own good works, his righteousness, his own ability? He says, no, a righteous man, a just man will live, will be spared by what? His faith in God or his faithfulness. The just shall live by faith. Amen? <laughs> and what a better way to live. You've been on both sides of the track. There's no comparison to how to live. That's right. And so to live in Hebrew doesn't just mean to exist. When he's talking about the just shall live by faith, he doesn't just mean he's alive and breathing. You, know, you find some guy falls five stories down on the ground and smashed and splintered and barely breathing. And someone asks you, well, is he alive? Well, yeah, he's living, but he's barely existing. So that's not what the Hebrew's talking about. So for the Hebrew, it doesn't mean to barely exist. It means to have vigor, to have security, to have honor, to be richly and fully alive. And he says that's how the just will live. Live by faith, the opposite of perishing and wasting away, the opposite of the proud. It's the life of Psalm 91. 
Psalm 91 at the end of it, it says, because God says this, because he, the just man, has set his love upon me. He says, therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. And God says, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? That's what it means to live. God will be with you in trouble. He'll honor you, deliver you, show you his salvation. With long life, you'll be satisfied, as we've heard many times. Amen? You're not going to be dissatisfied. And so the righteous man will live by faith. And first what that means is he's going to exercise faith in God's promise for salvation. That you see the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in his blood. That's where your righteousness and life comes from. When you trust in that, you have life. You know, Martin Luther, who's the one that made this verse famous, he believed the only way he could be right with God was all his fasting, his long prayers. He would literally walk up on his knees up these steps. That somehow was going to gain him righteousness with God. And the man was tormented, never could get peace, never could feel he was forgiven and right with God. Tormented in his soul until one day he's crying out to God. None of this is working. And one day he's working on some lectures on the book of Romans. And he comes across Romans 1.17. The righteous shall live by faith. And the light came on. And he saw all of this stuff I'm trying to do, all of this I'm trying to earn God's favor, trying to earn peace, earn forgiveness. That's not the way it works. Because it's not about us, is it? It's about the serpent on the pole. When the snake bites you, you don't get rid of that by looking at the wound, looking at yourself, looking at how miserable you are trying to remedies, trying to work it out. No, what did God say? It comes by looking away, by looking at here's where the work was done, on the cross. And that's where our righteousness is. It's looking that the Lord Jesus Christ did everything for us, didn't he? Jesus paid it all. We don't add a thing to that. All to him I owe. It's that look, only a look as the song goes. So that's what it means to live by faith first. And second, a person, the just man, will live by faith in his daily life. Walking by faith, and as Brother Terry said the other night, we walk by faith and not by sight. That is how we live. For what we've been taught, and not just because we've been taught, the Bible teaches you're trusting God for all of your needs, spiritual, material, and physical. A righteous man is going to faithfully walk with God, looking to him for everything. And when you do that, what does the Bible say? It's the only way to live, only way for a Christian to live. And it says when you do that, you'll please him. Amen? Because it says without faith, without walking that way, it is impossible to please him. Isn't that the way you want to walk? Yeah, it's the way to walk, isn't it? The just shall live by faith or faithfulness. So like I said, there is no Hebrew word for faith. It's an abstract term that has to be explained. So they have a word. Their word means faithful, steadfast. That's what it's saying. I'm going to be steadfast with the Lord, with what he's shown me, how he shows me he wants me to live, what he wants me to trust him for, how to be obedient to him. The just shall live by his faithfulness. 
And look, that's in the New Testament too. So Acts 11.23, Barnabas, he comes to Antioch and he sees that God has visited those people. Revival has taken place. And it says this in Acts 11.23, when Barnabas, who when he came and had seen the grace of God in Antioch, it says he was glad And he exhorted them all, all the people of Antioch, and here's how he exhorted them, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And I'm saying that is what it means to be faithful. You've purposed in your heart that I'm not leaving you, Lord. I'm going to trust you, hold on to you. I'm going to do everything you ask me to do because I'm done with the world and its ways. I'm done with Satan. I'm done with sin. I'm done with trusting everything but trusting you. Cleave unto the Lord. That's what he exhorted those people. By the grace of God, that's how we can live. And so the righteous man or a just man, he'll exercise faith in God through all adversity and trials. It's like a guy said, when faith doesn't make sense, when it doesn't seem reasonable to believe in a good God, when God's justice and mercy are not evident, precisely then, as in no other time, do men prove their righteousness by continuing to be faithful. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, y'all tell me if you agree with this quote. Maybe I can get a little amen after I say this. That the life of faith is based upon the confidence that God is faithful to do all that he has pledged himself to do in his word. That's the life of faith. That's right. So if you would... Turn to Psalm 37. And the reason we're going to read Psalm 37 is because it is just packed with things that God promises he'll do for his people. Psalm 37, if you're wondering how do I live a life of faith, just put this psalm into practice. It'll get you there. Psalm 37, beginning in verse 1, it says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord. And do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily you will be fed. Amen. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of thine heart. Number three, verse five, commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. And what will happen? He's going to leave you hanging? He says he'll bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Fourth thing, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those, that's us, that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth and everything else he's promised. For yet a little while the wicked shall not be, yea, though thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just, and gnashes upon him with his teeth. The Lord will laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay such as be of a upright conversation. But what's going to happen? Their sword will enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but 
The Lord does what? Promises to do what? He promises to uphold the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine, God will do what? They shall be satisfied, but the wicked, they'll perish. And the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume and the smoke shall they consume away. The wicked borrows and pays not again. But the righteous shows mercy and gives. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. Verse 23, another promise. The steps of a good man are what? Ordered by the Lord. And God looks on a good man. He orders his steps and he delights in his way. And though he fall, which we all have and will, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous ever forsaken or his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good. Dwell forevermore for the Lord loves judgment. And again, he says he forsakes not his saints. They're preserved forever. But the seed of the wicked will be cut off. But the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous will speak what? Wisdom, because God gives it. And his tongue talks of judgment. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Amen. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. But the Lord, does he let that happen? Verse 33, the Lord won't leave him in his hand or condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord, keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark, the perfect man, behold the upright, for the end of that man is what? Peace. But transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord will help them. And what? Deliver them. He will deliver them from the wicked and save them. Why? Because they trust in Him. Amen. The just shall live by his trust in God. Amen? Amen. And buddy, there is just promise after promise in there in Psalm 37, I would say. And so God is saying what back in Habakkuk? What's he saying in verse 3? The vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, it shall not lie. It shall not lie. Can we have confidence that God will do everything he's pledged himself to do? Can we really? We can. Numbers 23, 19. For God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Do we not still believe that? I hope we do. It's all over if you don't believe that. It is. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why do we hold fast to what we professed without wavering? For he is faithful. He's not a liar. He is faithful that promised. 
Hebrews 10.35, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience or endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. That's Hebrews 10. That's the way the just live, because he says those that pull back from walking by faith with God, ah, that's not a good thing. They draw back into what? Perdition or destruction. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> I didn't write any of this. God's answer to Habakkuk in chapter 2 is, I'm sending the Chaldeans. They're going to punish the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but they are themselves are not going to go unpunished. So when they chastise Judah, I will punish them. Because here's what's going to happen. The just shall live by faith. And one day, verse 14, chapter 2, it says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day that will happen. The just shall live by faith. Faith that that will happen. Whatever seems not right now is going to be taken care of. And then at the very end of that chapter 2, God tells Habakkuk, Woe to those people that worship these idols of wood and stone. And that's what the Babylonians did. They had these gods. Every nation had their gods. And when they would go out to war, the Babylonians, they had these blocks of wood. They'd paint it with gold, paint their faces on it. And they'd bow down and worship that this God had given them these victory over all these nations. Let them plunder them, rape them, kill them. Unmercifully treat them. And he says, oh, woe to the people that are attributing their success to a block of wood or a stone block that they got a face painted on it. And that's like, you seen that movie, Castaway, that guy's on that island, and he's got this volleyball that he names Wilson, and he draws a face on that thing, and he's, it's like it's his little god, his little buddy. You know, the thing gets off the sea and looks like he's, he almost kills himself trying to get the thing back. It's a stupid, lifeless volleyball of air, and this guy's treating it like it's something. And that's what God says these people are doing, the Babylonians, to worship their gods. They're saying they're dumb. Like that volleyball, they just look back at you with whatever you painted on there. There's nothing to them. They can't speak. And that's why he says, look in verse 20. Look what it says. But the Lord, the living God, let all the earth know this, he says, is in his holy temple and let all the earth keep silent before him. And that word keep silence means hush. And it's the same word that's used. If you turn over just one page of my Bible to Zephaniah 1.7, he tells them it's the same word. He says to the nations, because judgment's coming, he says, hold thy peace, hush, at the presence of the Lord God. He says, why? And this is what the Lord's telling Habakkuk. For the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and he has bid his guests. Down in verse 14, it says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteneth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble, a distress, a day of wastedness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, and on and on and on. And that's what he's telling them here. You all think something good is happening through your God. You need to realize, let all the earth keep silent because God is sitting in his holy temple. And be quiet because one day his wrath is going to be poured out. And it's coming. 
So I'm the preacher of doom and gloom. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, it's still coming. And it's going to come suddenly. That's what it says. Oh, they were eating and drinking. Just like now, life's just going on. And sin is going to reach a point to where it's going to come down like a hammer. And if you're not getting ready now, you won't be ready. That's the way it's going to be. Eating and drinking, partying and uh, fellowshipping and da 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 Nothing's not to have to worry about holiness. Don't have to worry about all this, all that gloom and doom. We've heard all that before. Yeah, that's what they told Noah. Nobody wanted to get ready till one day it's too late. And that's what it says. But we're not going to end there. So we move to chapter 3, and that is the prayer. A prayer of Habakkuk, verse 1, the prophet. And it's a prayer, and faith rejoices so He's praying to God, and it's actually in the form of a psalm. And it's probably, I think, chapter 3 is meant to be sung. And he tells the Lord in verse 2, he says, you know, I've heard of this judgment that's coming on Israel and the overthrow of Babylon, and it just, I'm afraid about that. And he says, God, please have mercy on your people. When you're having wrath on us, just remember to have mercy, to show mercy. That's what it says in verse 2. Oh, Lord, I have heard thy speech. I've heard what you said is going to happen. And I was afraid. Oh, Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. And God does. That's Lamentations 3. Read Lamentations 3. In wrath, remember mercy. And in answer to this prayer, God gives the rest of these verses from verses 3 down to verse 15. Verses 3 to 15, God gives Habakkuk a tremendous vision, a theophany, where he can see God's power and might in coming to deliver his people. And what he's doing is using all this imagery that took place from Exodus all the way up to the present time. He's using imagery from when he delivered him from the Egyptians, when he parted the Red Sea, with Joshua making the sun stand still. And all of that, he said, is where I demonstrated my power in judgment on these nations for your deliverance and salvation. And that's what he says, look, in verse 13. He says, he's seeing all this. He says, you went forth. Why did you go forth? You read through all those verses, five through up to this point, and it talks about God coming in his might and his fury, the mountains trembling. He says, you work the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. So God did all that for his people. Israel was his anointed ones is why he did all that. And so he sees, verse 16, he sees in a vision after he's seen that what God has done to deliver his people. And he knows this is what's going to happen to Israel when the Chaldeans come. And he says, verse 16, when I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. He realizes what's going to happen when they are invaded, his people, with his troops. And he says, when that happens, there's going to be nothing left because that is what happened. So when these armies would come in and invade these territories and these nations, they would strip them of everything. Look what it says in verse 17. He goes, because although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, the field shall Yield no meat or food. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. 
He's saying everything's going to be gone. The figs, the olives, the grapes, the grain, the cattle, it's going to be devastated. And I and everyone else here, they're going to be facing what? What happens when there's no food left and everything's stripped? You're facing what? Starvation. And he's saying, but he remembers the just shall live by faith. And I'm saying, you have to understand what he's saying in verse 17 by going back to 2-4. The just shall live by faith because look what he says. When everything is totally gone and there's nothing left but God, and that's what he's left with there. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Look what he says, verse 17. Although all those things happen, the fig tree, no fruit, no olive trees. He says, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He says, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Though everything's gone, he's saying, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon mine high places. That's what he says God will do. And so faithfulness, the just shall walk by faith, means doing the right thing and trusting him no matter what happens. Isn't that what faith really is? No matter what happens. Doing the right thing, why? Because God asked me to do it. I'm going to be steadfast to him even when there is no reason for me to do it. Nothing in it for me. And isn't that what we have with the faith of Job in the book of Job? Everything Job had, his oxen, donkeys, sheep, servants, all of his sons and daughters. And then his body is from head to toe covered, it says, with sore boils. His wife says this to him. Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. There's nothing left for you, Job. Why are you still holding on to your faith? Why are you still trusting the Lord? Curse God and die. And he said unto her, Will you speak as one of the foolish women speaks? What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And it said, In all this, Job did not sin with his lips, because that is faith. And that's what Habakkuk realizes. I've seen God. I've seen what he's done. I know what he'll do for me. And it doesn't matter what it appears. It doesn't matter that there appears to be nothing in this for me. Because that's what the devil said, didn't he? He told the Lord, he said, look at Job. Yeah, he's got all that because it pays to serve you. He's not going to rejoice and join you when I take all that away. And the Lord's like, well, then we'll find out. Go ahead and take it all. And he did. Now listen, Job had some, he complained quite a bit in there, didn't he? But he never, he said, though he slay me, I'm still going to trust him. I got questions. I don't understand all this stuff. I've lived a righteous life. This doesn't seem like this should be happening. That's what he's saying. But when God comes and appears before him and shows him, just like with Habakkuk, he shows Habakkuk here in chapter 3, this is me, this is my glory coming. If you read carefully through this, this brightness, my glory, I am this God. And when they see that, Job says he put his hand on his mouth and he repents in sackcloth and ashes because I had not seen who God is. But once he did, I think Job started rejoicing. I do. It doesn't say that. But he's praying for his friends. And it said God gave him back everything he lost, didn't he? And that's what Habakkuk's saying here. It can appear like, hey, this is not worth serving God. He's not treating me fair. It's not working out. But yet, look at everything around me. He's gone. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I know who he is. He's not going to leave me or forsake me. That's right. 
He will do what He says to do. And it says to this in James, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience or endurance of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, I think that's what Job, I think that's what Habakkuk, I think that's what the Apostle Paul saw, that it doesn't matter Romans 8. Tribulation, my back can be beaten. I can be starving to death. I can be shipwrecked. I can have all of these things happen. You can cut my head off. And yet, the steadfast love of the Lord for me never ceases. And that's what faith is. That's what we're talking about here. The just shall live by their faith in their faithfulness in the goodness and love of God. And why do we have Paul saying in Ephesians 3, he says, they would pray standing up back then. He says, I'm on my knees for you, church. Ephesians, I'm crying out that God will show you, strengthen you in your spirit, that you can comprehend the height, the breadth, the length, whatever all, of the love of God for you. Because that is what will get you through. Just shall live by his faithfulness, his faithfulness in God's goodness. Amen? So we can know, even though we have not physically... Has anyone in here physically seen the Lord Jesus Christ? Nobody? Good. But we can know that we can trust Him, can't we? We can know that He is always with us, no matter how fiery the trial gets, because that's what Peter's talking about. If you would turn to 1 Peter, and we'll look at that. 1 Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy, He's birthed us again unto a lively, a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. It fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. So let Him take everything. Let Him take everything we have, including our life. We have an inheritance, don't we? A resurrected body waiting for us. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And because of all that, he says, verse 6, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire. That hurts. That's hard. It might be found in the end unto praise and honor and glory at the appearance of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, whom having not seen what you love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, what do we do? With Habakkuk, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. He's saying we love him. He's put that in our heart. And because of that, and because we know he will never leave us or forsake us, that his love will never depart from us no matter what they do. We have an inheritance. He's reserved that for us. He's prepared a place for us. He's saying so because we know that, we can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's by the just shall walk by faith. And that produces that. you got to believe all of what he says. I haven't seen my inheritance. We have to trust that it's there. That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not worthy to be compared no matter what we're going through. We just have to stay faithful. The just have to keep living by faith. 
And that's what he's saying here. It'll all work out. That's this whole message of Habakkuk. So we may have to wrestle, chapter 1, with apparent delays in answering the prayer. We've all done that, haven't we? All of us have. The questions and doubt come from the enemy, through other people, our own impatience. How long, O Lord? Why? We don't understand. But God assures us in chapter 2 that if we will trust him, it will happen, whatever we're trusting him for. Amen? Amen. Whatever he's put in his word, whatever promise is there, God is faithful. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith, whatever it is, for he is faithful that made a promise. The vision will not tarry. The promise we're trusting will surely come to pass. Amen? Because it's got an appointed time and God is not a liar. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah, Father. Just thank you for your word once again and the principles of your word, Lord, that we may have questions. It may seem like how long. It may seem like you're unconcerned, but you are true. You're true to your promises, and there is an appointed time. And though it appears there's a delay, delay does not mean denial, that you are faithful and we can put our trust in you, Lord. And I thank you for that, that no matter what happens, Lord, that you'll be faithful to us. You'll never leave us or forsake us, and that we can joy in the God of our salvation because you are our strength and our help in time of trouble. And we thank you that you're that way for us, Lord. I just ask you'll make your love and concern and care for us real to all of us and that we can trust in your goodness. I thank you for doing that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you stand to your feet. My soul followeth hard after thee Early in the morning will I rise up and seek thee And because thou hast been mine Under the shadow of thy wings I will
Lord, I'm gonna follow, follow you. Lord, I'm gonna follow, follow you. Lord, I'm gonna follow you with all that's in my Listen, if you're his child, you do not have to be afraid to trust his promises. Amen. And I think people are afraid, but we don't have to be afraid. Just have your life right, and God is faithful to his word. He's pledged himself to that. That's the way it is. Praise the Lord.